Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus, and tonight is our Starfleet special, starring Admiral Bob Vossler from the USS Challenger and uh, whatever guests he brings to the show. And today it is Crystal Raspa. Greetings, Bob and Crystal. Hey, Hi, Herc, how, how are you doing? Do- doing incredibly awesome. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're keeping... Warm in this uh, frosty uh, winter. <laughs> yes, it got really cold really uh, fast. It's amazing. Uh, it sure is. We're <laughs> we're right now waiting for part of our kitchen water to uh, thaw out. <laughs> so Ooh. I hope we don't need the plumber tomorrow. I, I we have hope not water either. upstairs, but not downstairs. You hear our pipes are making strange noises, so hopefully that doesn't need... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Scotty to come over and fix them up. (laughs) (laughs) So, Crystal, welcome to Voice of Olympus. And uh, um, before we start uh, talking about things, uh, I'd like to learn a little bit more about you. So please share your journey that brought you to the USS Challenger. Ah, yes. Well, I have been a lifelong Trek fan. Um, Started off when I was four and... uh, Wow. Started out with Next Generation, and 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 in our house we we always watched uh, four shows. It was always Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune, Trek, and X Files, and so uh, <laughs> I just fell in love with Trek. <laughs> um, so I, I I had been in Starfleet, and I really just joined because I wanted to get the card and the plaque that said you're a member. And I never really <laughs> thought about joining a ship. And then one day I said, wait, you know, there's there's actually people who are involved and I wanted to get to know them and I was in Baltimore at the time and I had joined the USX Rick Tovin and had an amazing time and met a lot of people through conventions and Bob was one of those people so when I relocated to New Jersey I uh, joined the USS Challenger. 
Very awesome. And, uh, very, uh, what do you call it? Uh, um, anything else you'd care to add to that journey? Um, yeah, no, it's been an exciting time. Uh, I think the last year we've kept pretty busy with going to conventions, uh, doing a lot of cosplay, a lot of charity work, and, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, seeing what happens with the future of Trek. Uh, Extremely awesome, and that is what we'll be discussing uh, today, uh, the future of uh, Trek. Um, I have yet to see, I saw the Orville, which is uh, kind of like a Trek parody (laughs) of that. Uh, and I greatly enjoyed the the first uh, season. Haven't had a chance to watch uh, uh, Discovery yet. Um, I heard that you guys have caught uh, episodes from the second season. Uh, care to fill me in on that? Yeah, they were. Uh, uh, I mean, I'll 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 start off. It was because uh, uh, I got to see it last night. I I, I know uh, uh, Crystal and uh, her her little boy got to see it. Uh, uh, a few days earlier, but um, I liked it. I, I you know, I it, it sort of set the tone for the for the season. We're going to see more of. Uh, well, we're eventually going to see a, a younger, you know, young Spock. Uh, we've, uh-huh. we've seen Captain uh, Christopher Pike, and uh, who's taking command of. You know, I don't want to throw too many spoilers out there, but you know, he's taking command of the Discovery for a particular mission and um you know it, it goes into the relationship between michael burnham and uh and spock you know as the adopted member of the sarah amanda family and uh we got a glimpse more of a glimpse at that and more um you know a, a, a glimpse more of, of the crew of, of discovery and a and a different mission so i think this season it's going to be um it's going to be a little different than, than uh, last year. I think it might not be quite as dark, but I think it's going to be a mystery. Uh, you know, I think that's what they're, you know, they're going to be uh, exploring and they're certainly going to, uh, they've, they're already given some hints at uh, the Spock, Michael Burnham dynamic, you know, uh, it, with flashbacks of the two of them as children. So, um, you know, it was a good opener. I thought. Has Zybok been introduced at all, or uh, no? No, but that would be that would be interesting. I kind of hope that we do get to see that because you know Zybok was that unspoken brother that you know suddenly shows up in Star Trek Five. Uh, it would seem appropriate. He would be the older of the siblings. Yes. You know, I always got the impression he was the he was the oldest and. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe he ties into this later on as well, as far as the, you know, some of the flashbacks. Um, it would it would preserve a point of of continuity there, um, which Discovery um, seems to be filling in some holes and creating new ones. You know, with the with the series, but uh, you know, who knows? Um, we know we're going to see Spock later on. You know, uh, and a more adult Spock. Uh, you know, later on, if not next episode, who knows? And and watching the episode, um, there's just so many Easter eggs. I think a lot of the original series fans are going to get excited about, especially uh, when they visit his room and they see certain things from the you know original series uh, episodes. So they have that to look forward to too. <laughs> 
Oh, that is awesome. Uh, so so far, there's the first uh, the first season. Then there's a bunch of independent uh, mini episodes. Uh, I caught one of them, by the way, that, that was posted uh, somewhere, and it had references to the Golden Fleece and to uh, uh, Greek mythology. So I really enjoyed uh, enjoyed watching that particular uh, um, like mini episode. It was the one where the discovery was like a thousand years in the future. Mm-hmm. There's uh, uh, somebody on the ship and. Uh, um, the ship is charged with waiting or something, and he wants to try to navigate the ship to get back home. Uh, I didn't really get like the whole uh, all the implications, but I enjoyed the short and the references to Greek mythology made me want to watch this even more. Uh, Discovery. <laughs> They've been very clever. I thought they were very well written, and even for the short time, I think the the average episode was fifteen to twenty minutes. Um, Maybe maybe around fifteen closer. Um, that uh, they they packed a lot into that uh, into those shorts, and I think we're going to see more of them. I unfortunately didn't get to see the most recent one. Oh well, I I really enjoyed the one with Saru because that's the one thing Discovery hasn't done is really explore the bridge crew or their past or where they're coming from. It's all a bit about Michael. So that one episode on through, if that was an hour long itself, I would have been happy because, well, visually it was stunning, but just to see his past and the Kelpians, uh, that was really exciting. What are the Kelpians? Because that sounds like Kelpies from uh, from Earth Mythology. <laughs> uh, well, Saru, um, played by Doug Jones, uh, he is the acting captain of the ship right now. Um, I want to know how to explain them. They're hooved. <laughs> okay. Yeah, their 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 big deal is that uh, they seem to be the galactic. Uh, you know, <laughs> we've had galactic war warriors. We these are the galactic warriors. Um, they <laughs> seem to to see a doom coming, um, and that was that sort of was played out in the first season. That that he seemed to be worried all the time of, you know, pending doom and things like that. So and um, little ganglia would you know come flying out and. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting. Uh, that's an interesting concept. In Hercules: The Legendary Journeys, the first season, uh, they had somebody that I'm guessing was their version of Tiresias, but he was attracted to gloom and doom, and uh, uh, he sensed it uh, as a tangible type of force. He was blind, uh, with his eyes uh, shut closed, and uh, unfortunately, they didn't continue the character past the first season. So I'm glad that the concept, at least, is still alive, and that Star Trek. Uh, uh, is doing something with it. Um, With all the makeup that he has on, it's amazing that he's able to convey such a um, range of emotions and, um, you know, that you could really uh, almost relate to him um, or, or at least understand him. Um, you know, and, and and he's an actor who's been known to bring alive a lot of alien type creatures. He, he I believe, he was Abe Sapien in the uh, two Hellboy movies. Okay. Um, and and uh, I know he's in other water. things. <laughs> yeah, it's Shape of Water. You know, if he okay. if he didn't get his his feet wet in the in Abe Sapien, <laughs> um, 
All right, bad joke, bad joke. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> had to go there. And they spun off. Uh, they announced that they're spinning off a sequel, uh, Section 31, which is uh, uh, what a lot of people were guessing that uh, uh, Discovery, the first season, was kind of like a setup for Section 31. Do you guys have any news on that uh, aspect of it? Well, I know we're supposed to see um, an aspect of that in this season uh, from the coming attractions that they were showing after last night's, after we saw last night's episode. So I I think we're going to see that um, maybe they're going to lay the uh, groundwork for that uh, in this season, and then we'll at some point see the spinoff come about next year. Uh, I think most of us are, or even more excited about the, um, the Picard spinoff <laughs> called Star Trek yes. Destiny. I saw a photo and I was very excited because uh, Patrick Stewart has a, a bit of a goatee and he's wearing Admiral bars. So that answers one question already Uh-oh. as to Could what, what, <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I love seeing a, a, a bearded, uh, balding, um, you know, admiral. You know, just I don't know why I would relate to that, but you know, I, I just think that's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, any more on what the show will be about and which timeline it'll be in, and uh, uh, any of those questions that we've explored uh, last time around? Well, it would be taking place um, about 20 years, which is just about hard to believe or, or so, uh, from from when uh, the last Next Generation movie from uh, Star Trek Nemesis. Um, wouldn't that be about 20 years or so? It, 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 you know, I, I can, so, I can yeah. still see myself. At, I can still see myself uh, um, at the theater. You know, when when Challenger was invaded the theater and we were promoting that movie so um it does for me it doesn't seem that long ago but but it but it was i think it was you know maybe not 20 years but it was you know it was uh it was a while back and then of course there'll be uh this will be in the prime universe so they'll be dealing with things like what became of romulus after it um you know blew up um you know what 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 happened to the rest of the empire um, maybe they'll deal with things like the Cardassians, and you know the, the, they're they're repairing not not the Cardassians. We, we unfortunately know what happened to them, but um, because they're still with us. But the Cardassians, um, you know, they're they're after the Dominion War. They um, you know they had to rebuild themselves. So so we you know, and I'm sure we're going to see things like you know hints of what became of of. Uh, of the current and you know the previous Enterprise crew, um, whether Riker and uh, Troy are still on the Titan, or if, if Riker is at this point actually an admiral, uh, as um, as we saw in All Good Things. I mean, it, but it's clear that Picard is an admiral, and I think that's that's a, that's exciting because I I couldn't really see him leaving Starfleet uh, or or even becoming an ambassador, you know so. 
Yeah, this this will be very, very interesting to see where uh, things went. And uh, I'm going to ask two things related to uh, uh, this particular era that you're talking about. One, uh, you have revealed to me that uh, the USS Challenger exists at that point. So it should be very interesting to weave the tale into your unfolding uh, adventures. I'm really looking forward uh, to that. Yeah, we were... um we were concurrent with the next generation timeline. So, uh-huh. you know, um, but unlike the, un- unlike the enterprise, uh, we, we never, we never got our, uh, uh, sovereign class ship. We just kept on with the galaxy, you know, one, one transition was enough, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> And uh, the second thing I wanted uh, to ask was about the Kelvin uh, universe, as it's now uh, being called. Uh, What is the status of uh, that? Because uh, um, basically uh, last time we discussed a little bit about uh, how Chris, uh, uh, Captain Kirk and uh, his dad, uh, a.k.a. Thor, uh, are not uh, getting involved with the project. So it's kind of like dead in the water unless they do something uh, radically different. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one area of sad news to report this time around. That Star Trek Four has officially been canceled. Um, mm. That's not to say that maybe they may do another. You know, Star Trek can be brought back on the big screen in a different way. You know, but it doesn't appear that the um, the Enterprise that we've known for the last three cinematic, uh, you know, missions uh, with the Kelvinverse is is set to return. Uh, Negotiations had broken down as we as we discussed last time with uh, Chris Hemsworth, who was going to play come back and play uh, George Kirk, and uh, of course Christopher Pine as uh, as as Captain Kirk, and and really really you can't do a movie with you know that type of movie without Captain Kirk, and and, 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 and to recast it to recast Captain Kirk, I think at this point would be yeah you know. Would would be pretty impossible. Um, yeah, the only know, thing I, I mean, like an away team mission, like some sort of secret mission uh, or something, you know, with the, some of the cast, uh, uh, because uh, the actor who played Chekhov is no longer with us uh, as well. No, no, I, and I think they they might have, you know, replaced him or you know in a, in a with with the uh, alien who uh, went off to Starfleet Academy. Uh, in, at the end of, the, of Star Trek Beyond, um, but uh, unfortunately, I, I, I think that being a, a big motion picture, uh, they wanted all their. You know, it's very expensive yeah. to to put. You know, and, and unfor- as well received as Star Trek Beyond was, um, it just didn't make the money that 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 Paramount expected. Um, to get their return, and um, I, I think they had some ambitious plans for this movie that unfortunately won't come to be uh, unless things radically change. But you know, like right now, it, it's it's been canceled. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. Do right know- now, our our future of Star Trek in- seems to be on firmly in place of in in, in on CBS All Access. Do you know if they're going to continue? They they've established uh, comic books and uh, uh, books 
uh, lots of them in the, the Kelvin timeline. Do you know if those are going to continue? Like, we're going to continue the reality? I believe they are. IDW um, has the license now for the Star Trek comics, and, mm-hmm. uh, and they have for, for, for a number of years, and they've done um, – They've done some really creative, uh, clever things. They've done a, a, a few, adapted a few Kelvin verse um, adaptations, kind of uh, of of episodes from the original. You know, like their yeah. take on it, how things would have been on the Kelvin verse. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, they've also focused on on the history of certain alien races, like the Andorians and the Klingons. Uh, John Byrne, who is a comic book legend um you know he both in marvel and dc comics um he uh, and i believe he did do some some artwork for the dc when dc comics owned uh the, the, the rights to star trek at, at one point i i seem to remember when dc dc comics owned star trek they in in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, into almost the year. I don't know how how long they had it, but they had it for quite a bit. There was a Who's Who in Star Trek uh, miniseries, and I know John Byrne had done some of the work in in that. Um, so, uh, you know, he, he's also a writer, and I believe he did some of the writing. Uh, but but John Byrne's the the comic book writer artist who was responsible in for things like killing Superman off and, and bringing him back uh-huh. and re, or actually re, redoing Superman redoing anytime it seemed that you needed that a book was failing or needed to pick up Marvel or DC would say we'll get John Byrne on the job and he did things like revamp Fantastic Four revamp the X-Men revamp um, Captain America um and of course, then he went to DC and, and did a lot, you know, there as well. So, so, so him working on Star Trek is perfect. That, that's awesome, and we'll get, we'll be able to enter our favorite uh, Star Wars uh, universe through um, <laughs> the comic books uh, for a while to come. In the books, I see new books uh, at Barnes and Noble all the time are coming out. Uh, uh, different uh, ships of the uh, franchise, everything from Discovery to Prometheus. You know, so uh, I'm sure there's a portal there for those uh, who wish to enter it. Uh, my uh, favorite uh, ones were, uh, and again, I'm drawing a blank on the title, but uh, Peter David uh, did most of them. Uh, and uh, he had a uh, um, captain who was a barbarian from Xenex. And he was kind of like the Alexander the Great or the Conan of his people. He threw off the uh, uh, foreign oppressors and he ruled the planet. And then he had no more great challenges before him. So you'd met Picard and Spock uh, in the first uh, book in the series and he joined Starfleet. Uh, And, of course, because he was how he was, he wasn't, uh, you know, uh, Mackenzie Calhoun. That's the name of the character. And uh, I really enjoyed that series a lot. The uh, New Frontier series. Yes, yes, yes. 
and I see that there's a couple of uh, e-books uh, available on it that I haven't read. So uh, I had been all caught up with that. Then a few books came out. I got behind, and uh, then I didn't hear anything about it for a few years. And I saw that there are e-books, so I'll probably have to pick up the e-books and catch up with what's uh, uh, going on with them. So some of the series that had nothing to do or little to do uh, with the movies of the TV shows are also quite uh, engaging. And uh, you can have a lot of fun with those as well. Well, what I, I loved I about New, New Frontier uh, 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 it was that they brought Shelby back, you know? Yes. Shelby and Spock and Dr. Salar and a whole mess of characters that were there, you know, uh, and not being used. Uh, Crystal, how about you? You've been silent. What do you call it? Uh, oh, I was just going to mention uh, with the Picard series that you know, they weren't going to stick really to the next generation storyline that they were going to introduce a lot of canon from the books. Um, so you have that to look forward to. Um, awesome. And uh, so the the books, meaning the paperback uh, books that, that have been written, about, about, like in the subsequent uh, time between uh, the end of Star Trek uh, Next Generation to the to the dawn of the Picard show. Correct. That should be interesting because the the canonical the the books were except unless they were movie adaptations in Star Trek did never seem quite uh, canonical because uh, there would always come out movies or TV shows that contradicted. <laughs> what had been established in the books And uh, as someone who was really into the Klingons For a long period of time uh, Just when you got used to one Klingon reality They change it on you Then they change it on you again And you know, it seemed like whatever happened on the shows Was more official than uh, whatever was uh, established in the books Yeah, right up to Star Trek Discovery <laughs> you know, The Klingons yeah. keep evolving and changing And <laughs> And uh, we seem to have gotten, I haven't seen Discovery yet, but from what I've read and what people have said, it's kind of like alt-right Klingon. So we got uh, in Discovery. Well, the ironic thing about the look of, of the Discovery alien uh, Klingons, uh, and, and they're supposed to change again. They're supposed to get some of their hair back and, and, and not look quite so insect-like. But um, uh-huh. the, there was, there was uh sketches as far back as Star Trek the motion picture before the motion picture uh, and I remember seeing them in Starlog um, that has them look very much like and I forgot who who it was that that actually did them but um, they were they were being drafted for for use for the uh, for Star Trek the motion picture and they ended up looking very close to what was done for Star Trek Discovery which is ironic yeah. considering how Star Trek the motion picture this year celebrates its 40th anniversary you know and then wow. and last year we kind of got a, a a touch of 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 a little piece of of Star Trek motion picture history in Star Trek Discovery um and and I think with uh, the experiment that they did on Ash, um, it's eventually with him and Laurel, they may procreate and make a Klingon that looks, you know, what you're used to, like Worf. So that would explain um, some evolution there. <laughs> Was that on Discovery? Correct. Yeah. Um, you know, okay. With. With with Ash, he's he he was, you know, pretty much 
um, melded into uh, oh, what's 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 his name? I'm drawing a blank right now. But uh, you know, him and Laurel are you know are together, and uh, you know they had that uh, sex scene in which you know I'm like having to do you know cover your eyes, kids. But um, <laughs> um, you know they 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 will. They, you know, they may procreate. So uh, I think maybe in the next season or two, we might see that. Yeah, that that that'll be very uh, uh, interesting uh, to see. Uh, uh, and it's interesting watching Star Trek as the evolution of a story, uh, and uh, how a mythology becomes a living mythology. Uh, because the show didn't just air and then die. The show inspired people who wanted to immerse themselves in, in the tale on the television set. And it's gone through uh, numerous incarnations between now and then. And yet uh, the, the mythology continues to grow and to become more rich and to become more immersive. So uh, it, it's an amazing thing to be a part of. If Gene Roddenberry could only be here, and who's to say that the great bird of the galaxy isn't looking down, you know, here, but would would be absolutely amazed to see where his initial vision has gone and and has spun off. And remember, unfortunately, Gene Roddenberry had passed before even Deep Space Nine had, you know, he was there for, he, he guided Next Gen, but... He wasn't there for DS9 or Voyager or Enterprise and, and a good number of the other later motion pictures. Um, but I, I would, I, I wish we could know what would, what he would think about certain things. Uh, I have a feeling that in some ways he'd be very happy. And I have a feeling that in other ways he would say, mm, I wouldn't have done it that way, but okay. You know, it's, 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 it's an interesting take, you know, it is an interesting take, and soon, uh, at some point in our exploration, I want to tackle his other shows, uh, like Andromeda, for instance. He had several other uh, uh, concepts yeah. that, after his passing, uh, did make it to the screen, and uh, some of them had several uh, seasons. And uh, uh, and uh, watching them, you can't help but see echoes of Star Trek. Uh, in these works as well. So that might be a, a very interesting exploration to take. Yeah, I, I, I still wish we had seen the things like the, uh, the planet earth uh, pilot. If you remember that, uh, yes, they had done that. two of them with um, yeah. John Saxon was in the second one. <clears throat> I forgot what the first one was called, but I remember planet earth more and it had Diana Muldar and John Saxon uh, was was the recast lead from the first pilot. Of course, we also had the Quester tapes. I believe he he did that. You know, that yeah, was his concept did. as well, with uh, Robert Foxworth. Um, and and I and still every time I see a, a Simon Earth, I I so wish that 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 spinoff that NBC had not been so short sighted. Well, NBC hadn't been so short sighted. We would have gotten a, a fourth season of Star Trek, but. Um, but Simon Earth would have really been an interesting show, I think. And there was one show that had Robert Lansing fan on Earth with humans. I don't remember the name of that show, but it lasted for a few seasons too. There were like these aliens uh, who were present on Earth, 
were they benevolent? Were they not benevolent? They kind of went back and forth with that. And uh, what, what should humanity's appropriate response be? I remember that was a Roddenberry show, too. I don't remember the title, though. Yeah, I can't think of the title either. I didn't follow that. I, I loved Andromeda. Um, I, I, I watched Andromeda, Andromeda from start to from start to finish, and I, I know that there was changes in some of the writing of the episodes, and I know they kind of dumbed it down a little bit, and I know that last season it was almost like they didn't have enough money to do it, so they, they kind of... Yeah. They kept him on the planet for a while, you know. Somewhere, I remember, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Uh, I've seen them all. I I only still have the first season now, but I I used to have them all at one point, and uh, uh, I enjoyed them. The sixth season, I remember you met Zeus in the sixth season, so that was an interesting mythical uh, story. Um. So I'm, I'm sure that more of his work will come to light. And now it's being revealed, and we've, we've touched upon this before, that Roddenberry was inspired by uh, cosmic uh, spirituality and was in contact with uh, several metaphysical um, cosmic spirituality groups. Uh, uh, he was in contact with uh, these aliens called the Nine, which he tried developing into a television concept at one point uh, and incorporated into some of his... Uh, um, yeah, his science fiction. Uh, I have folks from the Urantia Book Society that uh, uh, say that uh, he actually had been in contact with them and had uh, read the Urantia Book. And uh, the Unarius Academy of Science, which will be on in the second half of the show, uh, a lot of what was described in the Federation uh, exists in much earlier uh, Urantia Book, uh, not Urantia, uh, Unarius Book. So it's possible that he was inspired by those uh, as well. So uh, that's an area that I want to start uh, exploring in greater detail in future episodes uh, uh, too. But his vision was a grand one, and it was for all of humanity. And uh, I think it's incredibly awesome that uh, um, Starfleet uh, International keeps this uh, legacy alive, and especially, as Crystal mentioned earlier, uh, the charitable aspects of it, you know, trying to keep a vision alive, make positive changes in our world uh, toward a united humanity uh, and also a charitable humanity. Exactly. Adopting the let me help uh, theme that, that, that we have seen, you know, throughout since, since uh, Trek classic, um, as we discussed last time, you know, when uh, Challenger gets together for its reorganization meeting, which was uh, originally planned for this past weekend, but uh, uh, the, the forecast in, of the weather was so dour that we thought we would be, you know, uh, covered in ice. So uh, we postponed it, and nothing happened. But uh, we'll be picking a, you know, a, a, you know, we'll be looking at some new community service projects to. Uh, awesome. Uh, to explore for the, the year 2019. We'll be doing that here uh, as well in our nascent uh, and emerging vessel. I still haven't heard anything from uh, Starfleet you know, in terms of what uh, comes next, uh, but we've been doing a little bit of uh, organizing and uh, uh, coming up with our storyline. What uh, we're going to do is historically, we're going to touch history at the point where we uh, uh, touch base with uh, the challenger. 
uh, although we've met the uh, justice uh, before. Even it happened like four or five years, maybe five, six years ago at this point. But anyway, that'll be the timeline where we come and then uh, we've discovered what happened to Apollo and that uh, uh, we cannot blame the Federation for uh, what happened. And, uh, um, you know, and also in Peter David's uh, 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 the, uh, the Frontier books with Mackenzie Calhoun, he picks up the storyline mm-hmm. uh, in there as well. And then there was the Star Trek continued episode with Apollo. So we're going to weave elements of all that together. And, uh, oh, this that will sounds be great. The aftermath, and then we, we connect with you. Uh, but we're actually going to be a, a, a multidimensional uh, vessel. And this will allow us to explore different periods in different dimensions in Star Trek, as well as other science fiction uh, fandoms. And it will also allow us to uh, explore some of the cosmic spirituality that inspired Roddenberry in uh, creating his science fiction. So that's kind of like going to be its thing. I'm, of course, going to be looking for Greek mythology. Uh, We have crewmates who are going to be looking into Egyptian mythology, uh, stories of like sword and planet. You know, so every every teammate's going to have their specialty. Uh, and then I have a few people from the Urantia book who are going to explore what Roddenberry's connection with the Urantia book was. So everyone will be working like on a different uh, a project and looking at the different older mythologies that went into uh, the Star Trek uh, mythos. So that's that's what we're doing. And uh, we're going to do it through time travel and uh, dimension hopping. That sounds great. That sounds like you've got a a whole plan there, and, and I, I, I look forward to hearing more. It just sounds like you need to be careful of the mirror universe because no matter what, whenever you tra- time travel, it seems like you always run into the Tyrian Empire at least one episode. So, yeah, And I'm sure we'll have fun doing that. And since I'm bearded, maybe my uh, uh, my evil twin will be clean-shaven. And <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> It, it sounds like a lot of fun, and there's so much in the Star Trek universe to explore and to play with. And um, I still have a bunch of fanzines where fans used to freely do that. Uh, I haven't really been into fan fiction on the computer. Uh, I'm still, uh, yeah, I, I'm an old timer, I guess. And uh, I love the fanzines, you know, finding out all this creative work. And, uh, um, you know, I, I missed the actual having a physical thing to read and put on a bookshelf. Um, well, I, I, I wanted to kind of throw in here for those that uh, don't have CBS All Access but are still dying to see the first season of of um, Star Trek Discovery that uh, just today I, I happened to come across, um, you know, putting the DVD up in the, in the DVD section um, that probably most libraries now, you know, or a good number of libraries depending on what their uh, arrangements are for for DVD uh, procurement, um, they they have Star Trek Discovery, so uh, you know, and you can you can go and get it for free, you know, for for a week awesome. or two, or, depending on uh, what what each library's loaning policy is for DVDs. But uh, yeah, so um, you know, that's, that's, that's another point. great outlet. And since part of what we're doing is to support uh, the Crestville Public Library and other local libraries, 
that's an important uh, point uh, to put in there. We could let our, all our members know that uh, you know they don't have to incur an expense to order uh, the seasons yeah. or any of the episodes we're referring to. They're available through the BCCLS uh, uh, library system for free. So all they need to do is have a library card and request it. Yeah, that's. I mean, many libraries have a pretty uh, extensive uh, DVD collection, um, and and some, if they don't have it, well, can do what's called an inter-library inter loan from another library system. I mean, that's how I got to see all the seasons up to the current one of Game of Thrones because I don't have HBO, and you know, so I mean, uh, it, it's fun to just sit and and binge watch when you you have yes. a whole bunch. of all at the same time. So, um, plus, um, I always find a way to put a, you know, a Starfleet USS Challenger card in, in that particular DVD. I have no idea how it gets there. <laughs> you know. uh, so the library. Yeah. Just, just shows up. Um, but, uh, also there is an animated episode in the, in, uh, animated series rather in the work wow. uh, called L Lower Decks. It's going to be more of a comedic show. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I know that it's Crystal, maybe, you know, the, the other cartoon that the animators have done. And, and I, I know Todd knew it and I can't. Oh, I couldn't tell you off. No. Yeah. I heard about it, um, but I, I thought it was going to be more like towards teens. Um, geared towards teens, or I've even heard uh, talks of possibly a show where they were in Starfleet in the academy. Um, but I think they threw around those ideas a lot among the the fan. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what we'll ultimately see. I think it's, it'll be a tone uh, and look that we have never seen the likes of before. Um, uh huh. You know, um, I, I, I don't know, you know, it will be nothing like Filmation's 1973, uh, you know, Star Trek uh, animated series that we that we loved so much um, that, that for me continued Star Trek on even before the Star Trek motion picture, you know, because right. it, you know, it had those. some wonderful shows. stories. Yeah. Collection. Yeah, they're they're pretty awesome, and uh, IDW did continue it uh, in uh, like uh, year four, year five, or maybe both. I don't remember, but I remember following that for a while uh, too. Yeah, one thing I always wanted to see was um, the you know a live version of of uh, Lieutenant Eric's, you know the Doan, the yeah. three legged. Um, and I think he had three arms too, you know. Uh, and of course, it was easy enough. We kind of did see uh, a Cation, you know, uh, you know, like Lieutenant Morass. We, we we saw, you know, a cat-like creature in uh, in uh, Star Trek Five, you know, who was dancing around. You know. But um, I was always hoping we would actually see those characters done in a live, you know. Uh, action version, you know, especially now with the advancements we have of CGI and, and all that. You know. Yes. 
Both of them wound up in Peter David's uh, ex- the, the series with the Excalibur and Mackenzie Calhoun. They were both assigned uh, to the uh, I don't remember if it was uh, Calhoun ship or Shelby ship, but they were they were definitely uh, in there. Um, were they in the, that or because they would have been more of the early movie era? I mean, I know they they showed up in the DC Comics. Um, the later issues of the DC Comics version. Um, they were they were uh, from the old. They were still around yeah. in that time, according to Peter well, David. Yeah, I, I guess they could. You know, who, who, who knows the lifespan of, a, of an Adele in a vacation? Spock was there. Kirk was there. They're all there. Uh, you know, a lot of them during that time, anyway. So uh, uh, I yeah. don't remember rest and Arix were frozen in time, like Scotty was, or something. Uh, might have happened to them that uh, brought them into the current era. But uh, Peter David um, explored uh, various uh, themes uh, that were culturally, uh, you know, touchy through those characters, I remember, in uh, some of his books. Well, and I also think that he had them, he was the writer, I think, for the DC Comics um, uh, version that had the, the Enterprise, uh, the original Enterprise. Um, well, you know, at that point, set set between Star Trek IV and Star Trek V, and then later Star Trek V and Star Trek VI. And I think right around Star Trek VI, I think that's when when DC no longer had the rights, uh, which was unfortunate because I thought they were doing a great job with it. Yeah, they were. They did a great job with it. Wow, there's 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 so uh, much. Uh, any games on the horizon? I know that uh, the game. I, I haven't played a Star Trek game in a very long time, but uh, when I met with the USS Justice uh, years ago, uh, there was somebody on their uh, uh, crew who was into the Star Trek game a lot, and he, uh, you know, showed me how immersive it was. And uh, you brought it up uh, several times as well. Is there anything new on the horizon of Star Trek gaming? Uh, Modiphius picked up the role-playing game, so I know that that's available again, uh, a new iteration of uh, a Star Trek role-playing game, actually. Well, I, I keep seeing, like, a commercial and on social media, this whole Starfleet uh, combat um, you know, and, I, and I'm sorry, I don't know the exact name, um, but I keep seeing that being flashed out there. I don't know if that's the same thing as Star Trek Online or not. Um, mm. One of these days, I got to carve some time out and actually get involved <laughs> in that. Yeah, and Star Trek Online, I I know people who. Uh, I mean, every day they have a mission and different things to do. I I. I I don't have the time to do it. Otherwise, I would never leave the house. But um, yeah, I think know, I would have you, the same I, problem. I, I, I always stuck more to the board games. I, you know, the attack wings and things like that. So um, I'm, I'm sure. I think it was Alien Dominion is the new, the newest game that's out there. 
So there are many ways for people to enter the world of uh, Star Trek, and that, uh, that's amazing. Um, I like games, but I find that I have absolutely no time to play them or very little time to play them. So uh, my, my game sessions are, uh, other than when I'm doing something at the library for kids, uh, my actual gaming sessions are like 10 minutes here, five minutes there. Uh, but a lot of this stuff sounds really awesome and incredible. It's just I, I can't budget the time for it. And uh um, so I wind up talking about it every now and then, and that's uh, the extent of my immersion. I know this whole adulting thing. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to stay home and play. You know, <laughs> but um, I don't think my budget right now can right. support that concept. You know. Well, that was one of the futures promised to us. We would have uh, f- floating cars, which we don't have yet. We'd have uh, uh, TV wristwatch uh, communicators, which uh, we can do now. Um, and that we'd have like uh, oodles of leisure time, which hasn't seemed to have happened. Well, I, I, I'm very disappointed about the whole lack of flying cars thing, because if we had that, especially today, because I – noticed my oil light, uh, you know, came on and I knew that I had to change my grease and oil, you know, and I just didn't get to it this, this weekend. Um, but I didn't know that the light was going to flash. So then that basically said, look, schmuck, get it. You know, I need it now. So I had to drive over today and get that done. So, you know, if I had a flying car, I probably wouldn't have to worry about it and what could have flown over and didn't have it. Um, that would have been cool. and as far as the, as far as the watch, um, Crystal, remember at the Region 7 conference, I think it was Keith who had, you know, at, at one point he was talking he, into his, he was his, his wa- yeah. watch, and then he was looking at the time on his phone, which we were just like, what, what's going on? <laughs> you know, did we ever think, even in Star Trek, did we ever think that we would be using our watch to talk to and, and, and uh, using our phone to you know, we are uh, we are a clock. And I, and I'm pretty sure that every Trek fan this, uh, you know, Christmas time probably got one of those Bluetooth communicators. Um, I think they came pretty cheap on Amazon. So you know, people when they don't know what to get, you were like, oh, Bluetooth communicator, ten bucks, Amazon. You know, so uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's been fun to play with. <laughs> Yes, uh, Star Trek inspired the whole uh, cell phone and and uh, all the related instruments. Uh, I remember reading how the early uh, uh, developers of those things were ins- wanted to create something that was on you know, Star Trek. Uh, the same thing with uh, uh, CD and DVD ROMs, especially the smaller ones, you know, for the computer. Those were right, right out of Star Trek. So uh, the television show did. In, in technologically uh, influence and create the future. We even have replicators now. Which is, how awesome is that? That is very cool. And, yes. you know, like the, the 3D, 3D Printed, printers, yes. <laughs> you know. And, and, and isolinear the... chips do look like uh, SD cards. So now that you say that. Yeah. <laughs> and as wow. sophisticated as our, our, Smartphones, iPhones, whatever you want to call them, are you know we have, you know basically a computer in the in the phone. I still miss, um, at least for the look, even though it was a crappy phone. I still miss my old, I don't even know what it was, Motorola, whatever it was, flip top phone. 
that was small, and, and you know, you flipped it open and you used it as a phone. Um, you weren't addicted to it, you, you know, as much, but it was the cool looking thing. It was a communicator, you know. Yes, most certainly so. Our journey is coming to a close. Uh, I had a really great uh, time. Uh, Crystal, it was great meeting you. Uh, and Bob, of course, uh, it's always wonderful talking to you. Uh, and uh, I'd like to uh, see you back soon, Crystal. Bob will be here on every show. And uh, once we have the new station, I'll be increasing the uh, the length of the shows from two hours to maybe four. Uh, so there's still a lot in the Star Trek universe we can explore. We can explore it more often and more in depth. That sounds like fun. And uh, I look forward to seeing you at a future uh, Starfleet event. Uh, I'm looking forward to that as well. And until next time, how can people get in touch with you and immerse themselves into Starfleet International and uh, the USS Challenger? Well, check us out on Facebook, USS Challenger. And we can also be seen at our website, excuse me, www.usschallenger.org. Or um, come visit also, us live. Our first... We have Farpoint Convention down in uh, Hunt Valley, Maryland, just north of Baltimore. Um, that convention's been going on for how many years, Bob? It's 35 it's and is... 40? Yeah. It's up there. No, no, no. Far, far, Far point, far point is. I think this is its 25th, or was last year? Okay. 25th. Okay. But Surely it's a great is, way to meet a lot yeah, of your favorite authors. Uh, Peter David is actually one of the authors that uh, attends every year, among uh, a couple awesome. of other writers. So uh, yeah, it's a good time, and uh, a lot of ships in our region uh, attend that convention. Um, but we also sh- uh, any. Pretty much any toy convention in South Jersey you could find Bob at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the ones in Manasquan. You know, I think there's going to be one in March. Uh, and and we also have um, uh, the uh, Manahawken comic book show, which also returns in March. And, and they, the person who runs it is always generous and gives us a, a free table so that you can oh, that awesome. come buy comics and, and find a several uh, Star Trek uniformed individuals from the USS Challenger there. So it's always That's fun. Awesome. And uh, the Creskill Public Library, uh, we're going to have our uh, Starfleet meetings there. And uh, they'll Very be public cool. and they'll be open. And uh, our next step after we things going is uh, we're going to invite other uh, like meetup groups, science fiction meetup groups, and we're going to have uh, books, uh, science fiction books uh, for sale uh, to help benefit the, the library. So part of our charitable mission will be supporting our local uh, library. That sounds wonderful. And I plan on inviting you guys to come speak once we get to that oh, point. Oh, yeah, we look forward to it. We look forward to it. So before we close, are there any last words of futuristic wisdom you would like to leave uh, with our audience? And uh, we'll start with Crystal, since you're uh, this is your first time here. Oh, well, you know, just, uh, you know, watch Star Trek and uh, enjoy science fiction and be kind to each other. <laughs> Thank you. Very well and powerfully said. And Bob? 
I think Crystal said it best, but I was just going to say, hey, stay warm out there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're just looking to stay warm, have fun, and, of course, uh, eat loads of stuff. So. Yeah. Thanks again. Um, what do you call it? Uh, joyous journeys. And uh, as you said, uh, stay warm uh, and be happy. Uh, until uh, after our, our musical break, uh, this is Starfleet International, and I'm a part of Starfleet International, wishing you all the best. Thanks again.
Hercules Invictus, your host, and today it is our Starfleet special. Uh, I'm looking forward to starting the second half of the show because I have with us guests from the Unarius Academy of Science. Uh, we have Lanny Calvert and Jack Appel, and we're going to be talking about cosmic truths beyond the final frontier. Greetings and welcome. How are you? Hello. Good to be here. This is Lonnie. Hi, Lonnie. Hi, Hey, Jack, how you doing? Doing great. Sorry to cut you off, but doing great. Thank you for having me on. Well, I'm, I'm very pleased to have you on. I like talking to you guys. Um, now, are you both Star Trek fans? I guess we'll start with yes. Lanny, ladies first. Yes, I am. It's and Jack, how about series. you? Oh, yeah, very, very definitely, yeah. Uh, I remember when I was 10 years old, the first episode, you know, the very first series came on, uh, the original series, and uh, it was like my favorite show. I didn't even sit on the couch. I just, like, sat on the floor in front of the TV watching this. <laughs> <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what was going on. I ran inside and watched it, so I, I really loved the original series. Lanny, you said it was your favorite show as well. I'm sorry. I cut you off before. Yeah, um, Jack was talking about his first time. I watched the very first series as a child with my stepmother. Um, she did continuity work for Paramount, and so I got to see the actual film projected on screen like a movie. Oh, wow. And um, I hated commercials because they always come in, you know, at the most dramatic time. And so uh, in, on the screen, instead of you when know, it was time for a commercial, it just said place commercial here and then went right on with the action. So... I love that because, you know, back in that day, the te- technology didn't exist for the average person to be able to do that. So that was that was great. Oh, that is incredibly uh, awesome. Uh, what do you call it? And that is a special experience uh, to have with the show. Um, did you guys ever get involved with, uh, like, the books and the comic books and the uh, uh, Star Trek fandom? Uh, the only other thing that was related that I did besides watching the TV shows and movies um, was I checked out the the Star Trek cookbook from the library. I never made any of the recipes, but I thought it was fun <laughs> to read the descriptions and substitutions for dishes and ingredients from other planets. I'm just a visual person. I just watched video and, and uh, the, the series. <laughs> 
Did you guys ever go to the conventions? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's a no here as well. Okay, so you you never got involved with like the uh, uh, the fandoms and things like that. Uh, that adds a whole other uh, dimension to the the Star Trek uh, experience. Uh, one which is uh, very reflective in uh, uh, Unarius. Uh, and today I'm really looking forward to uh, exploring that. Now, uh, as I told my previous uh, guests, uh, Gene Roddenberry was very much interested in cosmic uh, truths. And uh, he was part of a circle that spoke to uh, a group of nine beings who uh, were spoken of in ancient Egypt. They're called the nine. uh, And there's plenty of evidence for this. And also he tried to weave the concept into uh, some of the science fiction. And we've had folks from the uh, um, Urantia book. Uh, who said that Roddenberry had approached him and he you know, had studied the Urantia book. I see a lot of Star Trek uh, in the uh, Unarian revelations, especially in books like Exploring the Universe with Starship uh, Voyager. So uh, can you speak to that, uh, the, the echoes of truth uh, within the Unarian revelations that uh, where Star Trek could be a reliving of that truth? Well, um, Dr. Norman and Ruthie Norman, the co-founders of Unarius, related that there's hundreds of millions of terrestrial planets in the universe, and while I couldn't give a number, I would guess that a lot of their inhabitants are technologically more advanced than Earth and have interstellar flight ca- capabilities. So Unarius has been labeled a UFO cult for believing that we're not alone in the universe, but we don't chase after flying saucers. You could say the co-founders were like, I don't know, uh, the advanced telepaths in the Star Trek universe and communicated with different extraterrestrial races in that way. And all of their conversations were recorded and much um, was published in books. So the Unaria student can read about real extraterrestrial interactions. And actually Earth had developed to the point of interplanetary spaceship travel back in the high cycle Atlantis and Lemuria. But um, eventually we descended to using uh, that capacity for war and conquest and selfish purposes. So ended going up, going backwards in our own evolution and, and essentially destroying ourselves due to that energy we put out coming back to us. So, yeah, there's a lot portrayed in those stories that we could see or the Unarius student can see in their own um, past history and and what we have available of uh, recorded history of of civilizations that aren't in traditional textbooks. You brought up that uh, Unarius is often seen as a UFO cult, and that always puzzled me because uh, Unarius is not religious at all. Uh, In fact, it's uh, kind of biased against uh, religion. Um, And uh, so that that, uh, label always puzzled me. Well, you know, people throw that around. I mean, you could look at, if you really look up the definition, you could see churches as cults too. You know, what is a cult? And and usually the people that say that are people that haven't even read one of the books yet. You know, they just hear things and it's, and the media picks it up too because it's sensational, you know, and that's what they want to sell. So, but anybody who really studies the text, um, you know, will not think that come away with a whole different it, it is so so deep and about so much 
so many more things. And that's why when we have our annual uh, Interplanetary Confederation celebration in October, it's just about the fact that, you know, we're, we're not alone in the universe. But, um, you know, there's so much more to Unarius than that. Yes, there is. Uh, a lifetime is not enough to even study the basics. There's so much there. Jack is a, a childhood fan of uh, Star Trek. Uh, what elements uh, did you find of Star Trek in the Unarian uh, revelations? Oh, it's been uh, really interesting because now that I've been a Unarian student for some time, it's like when you go back and watch the episodes, you look at them with a different perspective. You know, and now you see more of these uh, these elements. Like, like for example, you know, I, I remember one where it was where uh, see, McCoy, Spock, the captain, and uh, Bones, and, and I think Scotty was the fourth one. They all got beamed off of their ship against their will onto a planet. And it was like a Western scene where they were, yes, you know, they, they were, you know, I think it was Spectre of the Gun or something. And uh, what was happening is, is that, you know, these uh, cowboys, you know, were mistaking them for the, the, the guys that went to the OK Corral, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they end up shooting. Um, uh, <laughs> they end up shooting one of the, one of the crew that came down. And uh, and what they found out and how they got out of it is they, uh, of course, Spock realized that, you know, this is not real. And, and if we believe the bullets are real, they can hurt us. But if we have an utmost certainty that we don't believe, that the, nothing can hurt us. So, of course, what happens is, you know, they get confronted with five or six of these guys shooting them out at the OK Corral, and they don't get hurt. You know, so and then, and then the scenario stops, and they realize it's been a test, and they pass and all that. And then, and happily, happy ending. But, you know, uh, the reason I like that particular thing is because, I can kind of see a parallel to when you're going through a reliving, you know, when the past is really mm-hmm. bothering you and you're really in phase with it and you don't really, you know, you think the world is a certain way, you know, around you. And then when you realize it, it's really an energy and you have that recognition, then you change it. It's a different, it's a different world around you. you know, it looks completely different. You know, I've had that experience where I was not able to, do certain things or express the way I wanted to. And then when I had a recognition and realized where it came from, it changed the energy. So it may be a little bit of a stress to think that's similar, but I, I can see the parallel because of what I've been through that. Yeah. So it's in the mind, you know, it's, it's your perspective, your perception that really, uh, it tells you, you know, it's, I see your perception. Let me think about that a little better. Actually, it's your perception of the world around you and how you, you take it. That, that's very true, and and uh, it was proven uh, recently. There was something in the news, uh, a short uh, clip of uh, uh, an American Indian uh, elder and a uh, young uh, man from a uh, Catholic school, I believe. And uh, uh, there was a very short thirty-second uh, clip, and people told a powerful story, and a lot of people came to conclusions, and uh, there was a lot of hate floating around. Uh, and uh, today, other clips that are beyond the 30 seconds came out and showed that what people were hating had nothing to do with the actual reality. It's the impression that they got and the story that was told over 30 seconds of the tape. So it was a cautionary tale uh, that we create our realities to a much greater extent. And we're influenced and hypnotized to a much greater extent than, than we might uh, believe. And uh, uh, that uh, what we experience 
um, might not be the ultimate reality and that our mind is indeed a powerful uh, uh, determinant in terms of what it is, how we're going to react and what's going to happen to us. So, yeah, I agree. That's Those are very powerful episodes with a powerful uh, message that's relevant to anybody who's, you know, trying to grow past the programming. So thank you. Yeah, and also, you know, when, when you start to uh, look into or understand how energy functions and that, you know, there's a continuity to life and you've lived many, many lifetimes and stuff. And then you look at the writers of these series that, you know, there is no such thing really as imagination and what are they drawing from? Um, and then you, you start to see, oh, well, you know, these are their own past life memories and, and people who relate to them, you know, the, the big fans and um, people that have uh, emotional reactions with what they're watching, it's because they have um, experiences related to them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have a, the, the reactions or they wouldn't have the attractions or the repulsions. And that's a very strong uh, point. And I had very strong resonance uh, with uh, certain elements of the Star Trek, which we'll be getting into, you know, uh, a little later on. And as I've studied uh, Unarius and other, um, you know, systems of uh, development, I've come to see that these were indeed uh, relivings and that even when I was reliving them, other people knew that they were relivings and stated this, you know, even though they weren't familiar with uh, Unarius, that uh, this feels like it, it happened before. This feels real. It feels like mm-hmm. I've come back to something that uh, I was in uh, before. So uh, that's a very powerful uh, um portal that we'll be entering a little later uh, in the episode. Now, do you know of any um, Unarius students who were involved uh, directly with uh, Star Trek? Your mom was, uh, uh, Lanny, but do you know of any uh, Unarius students that were involved with uh, the production? Because uh, Unarius has produced a lot of media over the years, so there's a lot of media-savvy and creative uh, people. Right, and and actually, Unarius um, videos came out before Star Trek. Yes. But um, as far as I know, I I don't know of Unarian students working on the Star Trek uh, writing crew. However, I do believe that some Unarius books were sent to Roddenberry. Okay. And Roddenberry, it, it has been proven beyond doubt, did explore. Uh, various uh, groups that were around at the time when he was writing all this. And uh, uh, so that's kind of like beyond the shadow of a doubt at this uh, particular point. So I wouldn't be surprised because uh, as I became more familiar with uh, Unarius, uh, I saw more and more Star Trek uh, in the Unarius uh, writings, which predated the show. So uh, Right, exactly, exactly. You know, because we had people say, well, that's just, Kind of, you know, what you wrote is kind of like Star Trek, and it's like, no, that's kind of like the reverse. <laughs> yeah. You know, what in Star Trek is like, yeah, he wrote that back in the in the fifties. Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things is, um, I can't remember where I've read it, but you know, the uh, even though I may not know anybody personally, uh, I think it's really really evident that the brothers have been inspiring the writers of, of the episodes because you see some of those higher elements in there and they're just they're just it's not a coincidence that they're so similar you know yeah uh, like i know it might be jumping the gun but you meant you know, i think we're, we're going to talk about the or the organians later <laughs> well we can talk you about know, them now because so, uh, you already brought them up and you, you just brought them up again too so uh let's let's talk about the advanced uh beings uh and how they're represented in the the unarius writings 
Oh, okay. Well, well they are Unarius, actually. You know, they they brought the teachings here, uh, and it could be considered uh, that they're peoples on other planets, you know, because they are. I'm sorry if I, I, uh-huh. I, sometimes don't say it properly, and i got to think about it and then, then reiterate, but... Uh, you know, uh, there are teachings came, you know, from higher beings that were here incarnated, and uh, and that's why the Organian episode really, you know, I I could have skipped to the last part of the show where the Organians are uh, revealing themselves to to the captain and the Klingon commander, you know, and they just say, uh, you know, we're we're in these bodies, you know, basically just for your benefit, you know, and then you know to cut out a lot of the dialogue, you know, they. You know, they just decide to leave, and they turn into these bright lights that they have to shield their eyes from. You know, mm-hmm. and they, they just go away. You know, <laughs> to me that's just you know, and I love that episode. That was one of my faves. You know, that's one of my favorites back. too. Um, yeah, one of the so, interesting uh, things Star Trek did was it showed that just because beings are advanced from us doesn't mean that they're spiritually advanced. Uh, that was a very interesting uh, thing that they did, like with the Q or with the Squire of Gothos. Uh, uh, and they had those beings who were on the planet uh, uh, in the first uh, pilot that they did with uh, um, uh, uh, Captain Pike and uh, like a younger Spock, mm. uh, the cage uh, or the menagerie, as it's sometimes called. Uh, so they, they showed very clearly that uh, that advanced beings, there are always beings that are more advanced <laughs> than the advanced beings and that it's a continuum. It's not a step one, step two. You know, you're you're mortal and you're uh, spiritually uh, immature, and then all of a sudden you you mature to spirituality, that there are degrees of uh, maturity, and that uh, also that someone can fall from a state of uh, being uh, um, exalted, you know, and and get caught up in uh, mortality again. So Star Trek covered all that, and that's something that I see very much in the uh, Unarius uh, teachings as well. Yeah, Q, he he was uh, banished. <laughs> yes. his, uh, people. <laughs> well, there is, um, I don't know if there's a misconception, but there are brotherhoods that are just as advanced uh, negatively as there yes. are positively advanced. So, you know, just because they're negative doesn't mean that they're stupid. They're very intelligent. Um, you know, Unarius doesn't get into that as much, but... Um, you know, I had a reaction to the queue and, and often skipped over shows featuring Delancey or others until I figured out why. Because they were supposed to be, you know, omnipotent and deific, but as portrayed by Delancey, at least, they were arrogant, judgmental, conceited, emotionally infantile, etc. And and it bothered me, or it seemed totally unre- unrealistic that they were supposed to be the epitome of cosmic development. But then I realized that it was in a reflection of Orion to me. And we mm-hmm. thought and acted like we were gods because we were technologically advanced enough to dominate and manipulate all the other humans and planets in our vicinity. But we were spiritually and emotionally retarded. So, you know, that's why I, re- I reacted to it. And then after I realized that, then I could watch it. I mean, I still didn't think it was very uh, intellectual, but... <laughs> But at least I knew why I reacted to it. 
that's an interesting observation. A lot of people, based on the mythology that uh, and the stories people tell, uh, they don't see the Olympians as uh, very uh, advanced uh, for much the same reasons that uh, uh, you described uh, Delancey's portrayal of Q as something very uh, advanced. And uh, the Olympians uh, are beings that have been part of uh, uh, what's going on here with the Hellenic uh, or Golden Age uh, current. But in the stories, they're often portrayed, you know, as as people with superpowers, kind of like superheroes, you know, that are like us, but uh, uh, and have the same uh, downfallings as us. But uh, looking at it from a human uh, perspective, uh, some of their actions can be interpreted in a, in a particular way. Um, I always found a fascination with uh, the Squire of Gothos and Q precisely for those reasons that, that drew you away. They, they were a, kind of like an invitation to explore a mystery and to better understand it. And I agree with you about uh, Orion. I have a lot of resonances uh, uh, with uh, Orion and relivings with Orion, which in terms of Star Trek uh, manifested not only in terms of the Olympians uh, with the Who Wounds for Adonis episode, uh, but also with the Klingons. I had a, like over a decade of doing things with Klingon fandom uh, in uh, the Northeastern United States. And that's where a lot of people who were drawn to that uh, were saying that this seems real. It seems like I'm reliving something. And they had no idea about uh, Unarius. Uh, but they felt that this was something they had been part of. This is something that actually existed. Uh, and this was something that actually happened, maybe not with the Star Trek names uh, or the details, but the, the whole vibration uh, of being an Orion was very powerfully captured, uh, not so much on the earlier TV shows, but later on in the movies and in the next generation and, and those type of shows. But, you know, I think part of that is the writers too. I mean, People, this is a warring planet, so people can relate to people like the Klingons. And then mm -hmm. also, as far as uh, portraying the gods, it's just like, well, there's a part of human nature where we don't want to believe that anybody's more advanced than ourselves. So, so these gods have their their foibles and their weaknesses and stuff too. But to me, it's just like having read Unarius literature where. No, I mean, when they're really advanced, they don't have our emotional, um, you know, childlike reactions to things anymore. You know, that's why they're advanced. But, I mean, again, like we were saying before, they could be negatively advanced. Very, very, very emotion. true. Now, Unarius teaches positive uh, and progressive um, evolution uh, towards a positive and progressive uh, future. What would the negative advanced beings uh, be teaching? What, what would they be offering to to humans who are incarnate? Well, and especially as as this isn't we haven't talked about the subject yet, but as Earth is moving forward into a positive uh, future, you know that's the opposite of what they want, where, you know, we are, are part of God or infinite intelligence and uh, each person is developing their own spiritual power and um, as being an active part of God. You know, that's just the opposite where with a negative brotherhood or going that direction, it's like the that's mankind's uh, lower self where you want to control and dominate, just like Orion. You know, you want the 
you have the tyrantus who is is over everybody and everybody wants to claw their way to the top and step on everybody underneath rather than working together as a unified whole so that's you know you get religions in that too where instead of like on the inner with with the truly positively advanced beings where you know Jesus and Buddha and Gandhi and Muhammad and they all work together as one you know you have uh, on the on the negative side all the re- religious wars where you know I could say my my religious leader is better than yours and we're and you better accept mine or I'm going to kill you you know you have the two That's opposite bad. extremes yeah that that is very you know, sad you were at that point yes jack yeah you know one thing i was thinking about this subject is that uh you know when you, we talk, we heard gandhi's name uh you know he had all these guys, Gandhi and you know, Yogananda, they really don't have huge egos, and they actually taught that, you know, that the ego was uh, a detriment, and you know, it was uh, Uriel called it your personal betrayer or enemy number one. And uh, I think any of these, uh, one of the things I see a lot in these organizations that, you know, is teaching maybe on the downside or the dark side, whatever you want to call it, the, the downhill side, you know, it's, it's, there's mm-hmm. a lot of ego boosting. You know, you'll, they'll give you. A, a title, you know, and or just tell you great things. You'll get a lot of money, you know, materialism, not, you know, not spiritualism, and, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, that it's kind of like a generalization I was thinking about when it comes to some some, some of what I've seen out there. Yeah, in, in, in in Star Trek, even within Star Trek, the the different series and and you know because they used a lot of different writers and different writers have different ideas and especially after Roddenberry's passing and so forth but you have different ways of dealing with situations where um you know I I really liked the the um, TNG because of Picard's way of dealing with it in a pacific way so finding the the peaceful solution to whatever problems came up, whereas um, in some of the programs, it's like, you know, Matt, you, you hear too often, man, man your battle stations, red alert, uh-huh. you know, uh, yeah, and, and, and fire torpedoes and all of those things, which is, is the way we respond here on Earth. And I, I guess people can relate to that. But what I really loved uh, – was the times where they could take what potentially could be um, a, a war and, and resolve it peacefully through intelligence, through greater intelligence. That's a very good point, Lanny. Jack, what's your favorite iteration of the Star Trek mythos? Uh, I know you're both fans of the uh, uh, original show, and Lanny just uh, uh, shared that she's also a fan of Star Trek The Next Generation, and why? How about you? Uh, yeah, I got a mirror of that as well. Uh, and I also want to add that I like uh, some of the movies a lot. <laughs> I'm going to add The Wrath of Khan to that one. <laughs> okay. But, uh, uh, yeah, what I like, <clears throat> excuse me, what I like about the next generation is, you know, how we touched upon how some of these are relivings from the past. And uh, when I saw the Borg, I was like, oh, you know, it really hit home because, uh We've spent a lot of time at Unarius talking about this uh, Orion civilization that was basically a computer-controlled uh, mm-hmm. you know, society, and maybe not as bad as the Borg, but uh, there were a lot of mental implants. Uh, I call them in- mental implants, but basically they were implants that you know received signals from the computer and 
basically gave people information. And uh, I know there were probably other things and experiments that, you know, with a Borg, you know, that nothing is, is really creative as far as brand new. I think that the Borg is somebody's memory. They've probably had people like that. Uh-huh. And, you know, they probably tried to make warriors like that, and I'm sure they did. And, you know, these are all uh, memories. So, what, you know, and that's what happened when I saw the Borg. I was like, you know, at first, it, you know, it was just this kind of feeling that was like, you know, you don't quite know what, what it is, but then you're excited about it because. You know, you can relate. <laughs> you know, you have uh-huh. a memory of it as well. You know. Yes. But yeah. I'm uh, oh, sorry. No, that that's a that's yep. a great observation. Thank you. And so, by iteration, did you mean which series of the mini series, or or which particular lines of dialogue? Uh, which iteration in terms of uh, which uh, series? There are series that appeared on TV. There were there were movies like the Kelvin Universe. Uh, there were book series that never appeared on TV, although they had some of the characters. Uh, uh, they're all Star Trek uh, is uh, vast, and there are many portals right. to enter the the, uh, the creative universe that they uh, brought forth. Um, so um, my favorites, I like the original series. I like the Next Generation and uh, uh, the timeline things, and I like certain of the series of books. And those are my favorites. And I've enjoyed some of the other ones, but they don't resonate as powerfully as those. Yeah, that's that. As I said, that was what I appreciated most because some of the other series and spinoffs um, just became like. Um, like mankind, like us today, but with uh-huh. advanced technology out in space, you know? So it's like we hadn't really learned our lessons and become um, peaceful and able to live with each other. It's just the, the other became people on other planets rather than people in other countries that we, we were at war with. So so I, that's what, one of the reasons, as I said, I liked uh, TNG. Yeah, I, yeah. And the reason I like the, the reason I like the Wrath of Khan was, uh, you know, it's a, it's an epic story. You know, good versus evil, and you know, Khan is this like super evil guy. You know, genetically engineered to, to be superior, and uh, but but the good guys always win, and I like that. But it just really shows how clever some of the lore, you know, astrals can be, and that's what I view. But again, from the Unarius perspective, that's what I view, like Khan being. <laughs> Because, you know, at the very end, the last time we see him, uh, he says something to the effect of, from, you know, it's uh, from Hell's Heart, I stab at the, you know, talking to, you know, thinking about Kirk. Captain Kirk. And then he initiates this uh, Genesis wave, which if you haven't seen the movie, it's an irreversible thing. And it's a, it's just, a, it's a bomb that has a huge field. And so, you know, this, the captain is close enough that, Khan thinks the, the captain's ship and everybody on it's going to get obliterated, but he manages to get the warp drive going and get out of there. So, like, you know, to me, it's also showing how the lower self is self-destructive. You know, uh-huh. Because he could have been helped. You know, I think uh, if I remember right, Captain Kirk said, hey, we, we can beam you aboard or whatever. And he said no. And, uh, but so that, that to me is how when you're on the lower uh, side of the equation, you're, you're devolving, and, and, you're, and that, that's now the con was self-destructive in one act, but 
you know, over time you're doing all these self-destructive acts that eventually accumulate up and uh, sooner or later, you know, you go uh, into, downward into oblivion, I think it's, we call it the absorption cycle. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, I like doing a good thing. Can you explain that the absorption cycle? Well, hold on a second. If you keep doing acts that are self-centered, whatever energy you're putting out comes back to you. So if you're doing negative acts of, you know, taking over people, manipulating them, hurting, hurting them, however, you know, emotionally, physically, um, psychologically, etc., all of that energy comes back to you. And instead of going forward in a progressive spiritual evolution, you're going backwards and degenerating. And so sooner or later, there's just you've cut yourself off from that inflow, the positive creative inflow, you can say from God or, or what we call infinite creative intelligence, which is uh, um, why we're alive. You can't live without it. But as mm-hmm. you continue to do um, self-centered acts, you're slowly cutting up kind of like your oxygen supply or your food supply. And, um, and then that's what we call, you know, your, it's not that you, well, you as a person entity don't exist. Energy can't be created or destroyed. So the energy just goes back within the, you can say the unified field, the cosmic field of energy, but you're not a, 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 specific person anymore i mean that's a long way down but it's once you're you're going down without the help of a master it's really hard or or almost impossible to turn around so that's what yeah, we well, what's it. happening is that we have a higher self you know and you know when you do a positive deed you build up your higher self and that's really where your, your inflow for your your physical life comes from and you know the, the goal is that one day to have nothing but a higher self, uh, not a physical anatomy at all, when you've built the higher self up to that degree. So when someone goes down into the absorption cycle, it's the opposite, where they, instead of building up the higher self, they they hadn't maintained it and they hadn't done anything to build it up, and it increased to the point where they, the people were relying on others, you know, like, kind of like energy vampires or obsessions with other people. And uh, it's interesting, I just read about this. And then... Uh, that is how someone ends up, you know, they can't sustain themselves. I mean, it takes a, I don't know how long it takes because, uh, you know, we've had some serious past experiences and we're still here. So it must take quite a long time. You know, I mean, we, we can go back many lifetimes and, and and have realizations going on thousands and thousands of years ago. And we still had the opportunity to turn ourselves around and, and work on going up on the uh, upward scale, the upward path of evolution. Jack, uh, one of the questions I've always had, and again, I, I think I understand it sometimes, is why do we have amnesia when we come back here? Because it's not easy to regain uh, memories of past lives or uh, other uh, planes. They, they come in time if you work on it, uh, but I'm 60 now and I've been working on it since I was a kid, and uh, I, I can't say that, you know, although I do have many uh, remembrances, um, 
I, I really can't say that I'm a, a, a clear uh, person. You know, I still have resonances with uh, uh, dysfunctional parts of our past and I'm drawn there for uh, reliving. So it is, it's a heroic task to try to uh, climb out of that uh, quagmire and, uh, and move forward. Why is it made more difficult uh, by not remembering uh, when you come in? Well, it's, it's interesting. I think I've heard that somewhere there the moderators, one of the co-founders even there, he says that if you could remember all of your past lives, you would go crazy. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so, and then the other aspect is, you know, when we see our past, it's when, it's when time is right. You know, we have a, a sort of a lingo we call uh, the cycle is in, meaning that that energy is in, you know, but really that's when, you know, we'll, we'll see something for that particular time period in our past or that cycle. And so, uh, and then the other thing is, uh, you know, we've been conditioned in this world, you know, most of us, at least in America, to be uh, material, you know. Like mm-hmm. we talked about it a lot where the little kid says, oh, i got my invisible friend here. And it, and it could very well be, you know, but it most likely is a, a little, you know, kid on the other side. You know, and the mom spanks you, you tells the kid, stop that, that you're just imagining things, you know. Yeah. And they drive it out of you, you know, but uh, when you work at trying to open up your consciousness and you know, try and develop a little bit more of that inner inner eye, you know, then, then you start seeing a little more. What I, would add to, what I would add to that is that once you realize that you've lived not only, you know, a few past lifetimes, but maybe hundreds or thousands of past lifetimes. And you think about all of the traumas, you know, the way that you died and how you killed other people and um, et cetera. And if you could remember all of those, I mean, you have people in this lifetime that go, you know, psychotic just because of some trauma that happened only in this lifetime, you know, like they're, Uh, their loved one died uh, a horrible death or even a regular death and, you know, they can't deal with it. Um, so, so imagine, you know, all of the traumas and of all of the different lifetimes hitting you at once. Yeah, you would go crazy, you know, and, and if you started talking about it to someone, they wouldn't understand you. They'd put you in a psychotic ward, yes. psychiatric, you know, tie you down. So that so th- there is a reason it is a merciful one uh, for the uh, amnesia. Um, th- since we have so far to go in uh, evolving past uh, this uh, point, uh, and there are avenues of uh, ascending, such as uh, the Unarius uh, teachings, um, what would a Star Trek fan? find appealing about uh, Unarius and uh, maybe start looking into the Unarius teachings, which, as we've said several times, preceded uh, Star Trek and uh, most certainly inspired uh, Star Trek to some degree? Well, the one thing is that interplanetary travel and communication is um, considered not only possible, but actually both part of our history and our future. And so we have lots of books relating to the real thing and not just something that writers, you know, constructed. So um, also that the science behind it is related in detail and in language that the layman can understand. So it's not just hypothetical, nor is it resolved for scholars and physicists. You know, anybody can 
get something out of it, no matter what um, you know um, intellectual level you are on. And as students um, learn to develop their own clairvoyance and learn about unwritten history like you know Atlantis, Lemuria, Orion, etc., um, they'll discover the reason for their attraction to the Star Trek series and their own past history with spaceships and other planets. And that's uh, that's a lot uh, right there. And Jack, what do you think about that? No, one of the things I was thinking about is we mentioned the Organians, and then we're going to bring them up again because sure. uh, I think uh, I think out of all the episodes I've watched over the years and all the different you know series, I really think whoever wrote that was most touched by the brothers. And of course, there's a little bit of filtering. You know, I think one of the lines that's kind of a little humorous or deflating for the captain is, you know, the Organians. You know, after they explain to them that they're not really here in corporal, cor- corporal bodies, if I don't think I'm saying that right, corporeal. Corporeal, right? Corporeal, yeah. And uh, <laughs> that they're there for their benefit, but you know, they say you must go. You know, the, the, seeing people like you is, is very painful. <laughs> you know, the brothers don't have that. I remember you know, that. But, but uh, you know, the the fact that uh, they turned into light <clears throat> light beings and uh you know would said they were there for their benefit yeah that that to me was the co- the closest thing I've seen on any of the series unless I missed something somewhere but you know, the closest thing to uh, high, the higher brothers of course they wouldn't be judgmental about the way somebody acts but that's another thing about uh when we were bringing up space travel and things if you're really super developed being uh, you don't use a vehicle. You, you you just go there with your your consciousness. With your mind, yeah. That yeah. that is a surprising thing, and uh, that uh, if you're visiting a place, and the Unarius books uh, provide you with that technique, uh, which saves a lot of time, you know, from discovering it on your own, uh, is that uh, uh, you can bring yourself to anywhere with a thought, uh, and the only mm. reason to have a vessel is if you're doing a group thing where a group of people are going someplace uh, because it's, it's easier to, to conceive of going there through a voyage. But you can travel anywhere in the universe with your thoughts. Your thoughts will take you there instantaneously. Hmm. Uh, and that is something that uh, Unarius uh, teaches you, which I'm grateful for. Yeah, you know, it's something I think I didn't make clear before when we were talking about the inner vision getting better and seeing our past more. It's... Uh, it's part of that workout process, you know, when you see it uh, or you make a recognition from a certain past life scenario that's, that you've had. Every time you do that, you open up a little bit more of that inner vision. And uh, it's kind of like uh, you're ready for the next step. You know, that's the other thing that's really interesting about these past. You know, I remember when I first started, I was getting easy things like cuts on my, you know, getting recognitions for cuts on my fingers and <laughs> bruises. And, you know, why I have a cold, you know, and then it, and then it will progress to more serious things. But, you know, that's the way it goes. You're doing, doing baby steps in the beginning, and then as you get past that one level, you know, it's just to incrementally, you know, get up to some of the more complex things because it's all about learning how to do it, how to master your past eventually, you know. 
not overnight, that's for sure. Very well said. And Unarius encourages people to develop their creative uh, self-expression through uh, artistic uh, means. Uh, I like that about Unarius uh, as well, that uh, our creativity uh, is one of our most divine uh, attributes. You know, it brings things into uh, being, and uh, we don't really know the limits of our creative ability until we go out there and create. And Unarius encourages people to create art and to create music and to create all sorts of uh, uh, expressions that are inspired from a higher source. Uh, so uh, there's that whole aspect of Unarius as well. Yeah, that's, Glad. That's, that's, that's some of the most wonderful things I've seen down there, other than some of the wonderful high frequency contacts and things where it just felt so cleansed. But I mean, some of the creativity that's come through, I mean, uh, you know, our movie, The Arrival, wonderful example of how people took a, a budget of almost nothing and just made this film you know for for special effects to be made of that degree back in the 80s you know early 80s I think it was wasn't it? yeah it's just incredible and uh, then some of the music artwork uh, yeah and it's all you know considered channeling actually you know it's uh, bringing something through from the higher realms yeah, that's one of the things I think I just mentioned uh, when I was talking up in front of people about how uh, I guess uh, I used writer's block as an example, you know, that ego again getting in the way. You know, somebody's creative and they've had a string of books or whatever they've had and, you know, bestsellers. And then, you know, when they start thinking it's all them or their ego starts getting out of proportion, then the inflow stops and they. You know, then they call it writer's block or whatever, whatever you do, musician's block. <laughs> you don't create mm-hmm. because you're not, you're, you're, you've uh, put that uh, metal you know, helmet on over your head to block anything that can come in. The psychic <laughs> metal helmet. <laughs> but um, as Jack mentioned uh, earlier when he was talking about something else, um, more than encouraging creativity, just a slight tweak of that is that when you work out the past, a creative flow is the natural outcome. Hmm. A very yes, and I uh, and I have to chime in on that because uh, you know, with my personal experience on that, it's been where uh, you know I've always liked fiddle and violin stuff, and I remember excuse me, thinking a long time ago when I first. I remember the first time I really got to see a symphony. I, I think it was on TV. It wasn't live. And I remember, you know, I had been involved with the film a little bit, and I just remember thinking that that is so, you know, beyond anything I'll ever be able to accomplish, you know. And I, I just figured it was an, a never, never going to happen. And, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm doing it in the community orchestra. I, I'm still not, you know, I, it's anything but a pro level, but the fact that I'm doing it at all kind of, Proves the fact that you know, when you go through these paths and you go through these things, you know, you open up that that element because besides just being able to do it, you know, having that creative uh, feeling come over you is what what did it. It's it's like I've just felt I wanted to do it where I never really had the motivation before and excuse me the motivation before to go take lessons or do what I had to do to put the effort out to get there. You know, and uh, yeah, and it's because just. Uh, I realize that when you do it, you get into a, it's, it's 
coming from your higher self, even if you're just playing an instrument. And uh, it's something you really, I think, should do. You know, you're going to have some kind of creative, creative expression. It's, uh, it's, it's more than therapy. <laughs> and what I mean by that is it's... Uh, Very true. You know, one of the things that I've had to learn is because I was always so self-conscious, you know, I, being selfish, I'm worried about how I look and how I play and all that stuff, and that forgetting the, the, the main point that when you're playing, even if it's in a group, it's for the enjoyment of other people. You know, you're there for them to, to, to hear something that, that they like, and that's why they came in the first place. You know, and that, so when I quit worrying about myself so much, and then it just became that much better experience. That's very true. So, um, I'm finding that uh, as I move forward, if I just stop, I don't think about like the things I used to think about before. I just focus on what I'm doing. The doors are opening up. Uh, to allow me to do this on a much higher level than, uh, you know, going through the, the system of setting goals and, you know, doing the steps you need that, that it's kind of like the universe, uh, uh, extends an invitation, you know, if you're totally dedicated to what, you know, your inner resonances and what you, you know, you feel you should be doing on the highest level and not on the, uh, satisfy your ego level. So, uh, what you're saying is a lot of truth. Thank you. Lonnie? Well, I don't know. It seems off the Star Trek topic, but I mean, a similar thing happened, if I could say briefly, if you want me to, um, sure. with um, what I do now for a living, which is, is music therapy. And I never thought that I would be able to do that. I wanted to use my music for therapeutic um, purposes, not just on stage and commercials and that kind of thing. And um, but I didn't have the time or the money to get my degrees uh, in the traditional fashion and kind of lucky because I'm, I'm glad I didn't have that particular indoctrination. So it's more open to the real teachers on the inner. But I mean, right now, um, you know, it, I've been doing it over 20 years. I haven't burned out. I have what other people see as miraculous things happen in, in my classes and I love what I do. It's, it's you know, oh, great, it's Monday morning, I get to go to work. I love what I do. So, again, like Jack was saying, even though I didn't take the traditional route or what you were saying, the doors open. When, my, when I put my progressive evolution first and work on working out the negative and karma and so forth that, I, that, I would, that I'm here, that I'm incarnated to do, then the, the creative doors open for me. And so uh, I love what I do. Very powerful. And uh, just uh, coincidentally, um, I'd say maybe uh, 20 years ago, I used to supervise creative arts therapists in a uh, New York hospital uh, for a number of years. And I, I got to learn a lot about music therapy and art therapy and drama therapy and, you know, all of the, the creative arts uh, therapies. So you guys do an awesome job of bypassing words. But yeah, but it, but like I want to make a distinction in that why when I said I was glad I didn't go through the traditional routes, because I deal with patients who have um, all kinds of diseases, and um, I guess uh, legally they can't tell me you know what what each of the patients is wrong with them, right. and even if they did, I wouldn't know how to heal them, quote unquote. But 
because of my experiences with Unarius and being able to, when I am able to make that attunement to the master teachers and healers on the inner, that's where the miraculous things happen. My voice is just a carrier wave. So, you know, they're, they're doing the healings. And so, right. so it's totally different than, okay, I studied, you know, X, Y, and Z persons, what they did in, in a textbook, and I'm going to follow what they did and maybe tweak it a little bit. No, you know, it's, it's totally unlike that. It's saying the master teachers are, you know, the advanced Unarius brothers on the inner uh, planes, and if I am open to them, if I, if I have worked out and can be a clear channel, then their healing frequencies can, can do some miraculous thing. Not miraculous, but miraculous because we don't understand it at this point in time. You know, but at some point in time, that's what we, we are headed for if we continue on a progressive pathway to be able to do that ourselves. Very well said and understood. Uh, and bring it back to Star Trek. In the Star Trek universe, humanity no longer needs to earn a living, quote-unquote, so people can uh, dedicate themselves to finding their, uh, uh, their true path, to finding their soul's expression, uh, and uh, to developing themselves to uh, uh, as high a level as they possibly uh, can. So even though humanity in some ways has not uh, evolved in that particular way, uh, uh, they have. And there were several episodes that dealt with that aspect of uh, uh, the world presented to us by Star Trek. You know, uh, in our defense, <laughs> I just wanted to say that, you know, I take full responsibility for taking this down the avenue we just did, but but I was uh, I, I was negligent in mentioning that you know that we talked about the inflow coming from higher realms, and I you know I need to mention that that's happening with the writers of the Star Trek episodes uh-huh. and movies and things, you know. So uh, yeah, I tied it in. <laughs> I, needed to, I needed to tie it in. <laughs> And I like that about Unarius, too. Unarians take responsibility. <laughs> that is uh, so rare on many levels in the world uh, today. Even on the highest level, uh, people ab- abdicate responsibility publicly. They don't take responsibility uh, for their actions. So the fact that Unarians do, to me, is an incredibly awesome uh, thing. Well, that's really what's going to allow um humanity to go forward instead of pointing the finger and saying you know if those people would change you know if they had my religion if they you know were were a democracy or whatever it is then we'd have peace in the world then it would be a perfect place no you know we quote often i think it was gandhi that you know be the change you want to see in the world and so by taking responsibility you are 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 changing yourself it's the responsibility of changing yourself and uh, whatever you don't like about yourself, the the lower negative aspects of your personality, rather as as a means of achieving um, peace and in unity and love and all the things that we want to see in the world is changing yourself. Because you, and I don't know if you've tried this, but I mean I I certainly tried it growing up of you know uh, trying to change the other person, and you you can't. I mean they may change to try and please you for a while, but it doesn't last. No, not unless it comes from within themselves. So, but the thing is, when you change, everybody and everything around you changes. Yes, and that's one of the life's great uh, secrets. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it takes us a while to discover that, uh, for the most part. And some people never discover it, but it is. That's one of life's uh, secrets that uh, 
Um, you know, if you want your world to change, you have to change uh, yourself and how you view the world and how you interact with the world. And once you do that, uh, you'll see a different world. You'll be in a different world and, you know, you'll be uh, interacting on a different level. And see, that's why you make an enlightened host. I don't know if I called myself enlightened, but I, I think a lot and I, and I, I look into things a lot and I contemplate things a lot and I play with my life and my mind a lot. But thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm greatly honored coming from you, Len. As, as hosts go, yes. <laughs> thank you for the call. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so uh, how, now Unarius, again, is very creative and has made movies and the special effects were you know, spectacular for the time that, that they were made. Um, have, has Unarius ever contemplated taking the Unarian vision and presenting it um, in like through a story? Because Unarius is very rich in stories. It has uh, it has uh, relivings that span uh, time and space and uh, uh, the entire uh, multiverse. Um, and there's a lot there that's instructional that people can learn from. Uh, would Unarius ever consider like presenting it, uh, um, presenting these stories uh, on a wide well, in a you, wider circle? You know, we do have. Um over 100 uh, public access videos yeah. that are online that people can see, not not only the little clips on YouTube, but, you know, the full-length features um, in half-hour segments on, uh, like, for example, LA36. So we have that. We have um, all of the books that we have in, in print and, um, and, and other ways. But, yes, there are also more of the Hollywood um, type of presentations that are in the pipes, in the works. Awesome. I'm looking forward to and there's also, uh, experiencing them. You know, and there's yes, also uh, an element of, of uh, <coughs> you know, there have been some people that have had such, such tremendous healings and have lived certain lifetimes that were a lot of detail and it made such a big difference in their life that I could see that almost being like a, a short story or, you know, depending on how much of a recall someone could get with, you know, like, a, like a Yamamoto, for example, is, is a, a book that one of our students uh, wrote a long time ago. And, and that's how the arrival came about too. So, uh, awesome. That's, yeah. that's how the, the arrival came about as well is, is a student writing, you know, their own past life memories. And I know Uriel uh, encouraged all of the students to write their stories. So, you know, at some point they, they try, you know, we all work for a living, so it's a matter of, right. of time. <laughs> I, I see we're yeah. kind of getting near the end. So I just wanted yeah. to say We're getting one. near the end. Yes. Uh, and if you could share contact information uh, so that folks can uh, go beyond this uh, uh, conversation and explore Unarius on their own, that would be awesome. Great. Hey, can I just say one quick thing? I'll, I'll keep it to a second. Sure. Uh, you know, one of the important things about Star Trek is it's it's a preconditioning for people to be aware of these other peoples and other uh, spiritual teachers on the inner and uh, just uh, an avenue to expand your mind to think outside of the normal third-dimensional, you know, way. Right, I'm done. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and if they want to re- read about the real thing rather than just what, even though it's the writer's memories, you know, come in mm-hmm. and uh, 
check out some of the texts at the at the Unarius Center. There's uh, several ways. The Unarius uh, Educational Foundation is in El Cajon, California. It's just east of San Diego. And uh, we have the website, unarius.org, not .com.org. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. Uh, I think it's Unarius33. We have a blog. We have a Facebook page. We have um, a big event coming up. Um, and you'll find all that information on the Unarius um, website. Anything I'm, uh, we talked about, you know, you can find there, like the places that you can see the public access videos, etc. Um, but on February 16th and 17th, we are having Unarius's 65th anniversary. Happy so, anniversary! Yes, we have an open house that's free on Saturday afternoon, and we have. Um, Creativity Workshop and a Mental Communication with the Brothers of Light on Sunday. So all of that information is also on the website. They can check it out. But uh, we hope if you can come in person, that would be great. If you can't, you can watch a live stream on Facebook. Most of the events will be on there. Awesome. And okay. uh, we're at the end of the show. Um, we're going to Jack, you have something to add? Real quick, yeah, we also have classes two times a week, Wednesday and Sunday, 7 p.m. Pacific time. We live stream those. And uh, if, for those following us on Facebook, there are links to both the Facebook page and the website uh, on uh, the announcements for today's show. Thanks again, Lani and Jack. Always a pleasure, and I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you. Thank you As I said, you're a wonderful host. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, and, th- and thank you for being on. And to those at home joining us, until next time, uh, those of us in your near- Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember... All manifestations of the divine are equally valid.